Welcome to the Bible Feed Podcast, a place of conversations about the Bible and faith in the modern world, where ordinary people come together to help each other understand the Bible better. Let's get started. Welcome everybody to the Bible Feed Podcast. My name is Lawrence and Today we'll be concluding our mini-series that we've been running over the last few sessions on the history of early Christianity. Joined again uh, by our friend Stephen Blake, so welcome. Uh, What are we going to be covering um, today? Hello again, Lawrence. So we're going to be looking at the organisation of the early church, and we're going to be asking the question, what did being a member of the church involve for the first Christians? great this follows on persecution and baptism that we did um in the first two sessions so thank you for continuing um the the mini series so let's ask the first question around membership of a church and what was membership all about from the very you know first century and then through those early early years of history of christianity Hmm. Okay, good question. So we touched on this briefly in the podcast on baptism, uh, but this was mainly from the perspective of an individual. Um, So when individual believers are baptized into Christ, they then collectively make up the church of Christ or the, the congregation or the assembly, whichever you prefer, will mean the same thing. Ultimately, there is only one church of Christ, uh, but for practical reasons, there are lots of individual churches in different locations across the world. Um, So we can't follow Jesus by ourselves. It's not a a kind of solo mission. Uh, God has designed it. So uh, a very significant aspect of our discipleship involves being part of a congregation of fellow believers. So that brings us to this final topic, which is all around the church organization and what it meant to be part of that organizational structure within the first century. And that's the topic for this session, church um, organization and the the aspects of that that we see right the way from early Christianity to today. So we'll go through a few of those aspects. So hopefully you'll um, enjoy the ride with us um, and Stephen will uh, sort of highlight some of the key aspects of that that um, journey throughout throughout history. So I want to first of all sort of double click on why it's really important to to meet together as a church. You talked about a congregation coming together. Uh, but why is it important for a believer in Jesus to gather together with other people, to join together in a church? Okay, so there are lots of different reasons, I would say. So first and foremost, followers of Jesus are encouraged to to see themselves as one big family. Um, so one description of the early Christians is brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, that's how they're described in the New Testament. Um, so if we are a family then it makes sense that we want to meet together regularly because we love each other uh, and want to nurture the relationships we have with individual family members and strengthen the bond that exists in the family unit. Uh, so it's, it's very similar to asking, why do you regularly meet up with your family? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's because you love them, hopefully, <laughs> and uh, you actually want to spend time with them and, and nurture those relationships. It's very similar. So let's not get too deeply into our family dynamics today, but uh, <laughs> let's just let's maybe focus on this family in Christ, these brothers and sisters. Good idea. Um, and the, um, the importance of that connectivity that, that we see, you know, you're expressing that it is important. But wh- where would we go in the Bible to, to identify and summarize the fact that meeting as a congregation, coming together with people who 
um, share the same faith as you is important. So there's a few different places we could go. Um, I think what sums it up nicely as uh, the passage the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the Corinthian church uh, in 1 Corinthians 14. And he wrote, when you come together, let all things be done for building up. So that's 1 Corinthians 14 verse 26. Um, so what that says is disciples of Jesus meet together to be built up or edified if you like, so building up like a like an edifice. Uh, so the old-fashioned word for that being edified. So another way of just saying that is that it's, it's very helpful for individuals to meet together, listening to the word of God, singing hymns of praise together, hearing God's word being taught, you know, all these things that we do when we come together as a church, they increase faith. It deepens love for God, love for Jesus, uh, and love for each other as well. And, and all this combines to, to foster a, a spirit of unity in the family of God. So there's, there's lots of benefits. It's, it's really great to, to come together as a church. It's interesting. I was doing some study recently of um, the book or the letter to the Ephesians and that spirit of unity and that oneness is, it comes out within that letter, um, the coming together and being bound together. Really interesting concept of being together and you know in this last couple of years of of covid both work and and worship uh we've been separated from people and it's so much easier to have a sensible conversation with somebody to understand their body language to sort of be able to feel like you're part of something Mm. if you are all together and i'm sure many people are feeling the benefits of that as we come out of some of the restrictions that we've experienced over the last couple of years and we're able to to get back together again so maybe we'll turn to one of the what's you know seems to be one of the most fundamental aspects of of, of a sharing or a shared worship moment for, for for Christians, which is the breaking of bread. And we hear the the apostles repeating you know the importance of this, and also um, narratives which talk about them actually doing this sharing of bread and the cup of wine, and that that process is um, is, is abbreviated as as the breaking of bread. And uh, we see this really early um, in the work of the apostles. The apostles are g- given the Great Commission and they're sent out. Um, Jesus ascends into heaven um, in, in Acts chapter 1. And then the apostles go off worshipping and and uh, preaching to, to the nations around. And it says that one of the key things they did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. So that's in... Acts 2 verse 42 and then in the next couple of verses so verse 46 it says um, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts so there's this idea of this sharing of the breaking of bread which is this commemorative act isn't it mm, and these are really positive uplifting passages about the uh, the practices of the early christians aren't they and if we are interested in original, authentic Christianity, uh, a theme that we keep coming back to in this podcast series, uh, then we'll look to passages such as these to, to find out what being a Christian was all about at the beginning. Uh, so firstly, it's about devotion or passion or zeal. Uh, they didn't take a, a passing interest in these practices. Uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Uh, and this summarizes what early Christianity was all about. A really key point that I'd like to make is that each of these practices 
are just as relevant and applicable today as they were back then. As a society uh, may have changed, the world has changed enormously, hasn't it, over the uh, the past 2,000 years. Uh, but some things haven't changed. Original, authentic Christianity is still exactly the same. Uh, but on this, this subject of the, the breaking of bread, um, I'd just like to, to bring in a historian here who we've um, quoted from a few times uh, over this podcast series, uh, Henry Chadwick, his book, The, the Early Church. Um, so he explains this practice really well. So Chadwick wrote, Each Sunday, the early Christians met for their Thanksgiving, in which the, the baptized ate bread and drank wine in a sacred meal, which they spoke of as eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. To share in this sacred meal was deeply felt to be the ex- essential expression of membership of the society. That's really interesting. And, and, you know, that harks back to some of the comments that we saw from, from Acts chapter two, um, and this sharing of a meal. And, and this sharing of a meal, it seems it's so much more than just eating a bit of bread, drinking some wine. But often we use the phrase, don't we? You know, we break bread together as just being linked with sharing a meal with somebody and kind of feeling, you know, associated with them and having a good time with them. But this breaking of bread is so much more of a, of a, a symbol of membership or part of this group of people who have shared shared belief. The language is a little bit odd, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And the language there, particularly within within that quote from from Henry Chadwick, and that idea of you know, eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ, it sounds cannibalistic almost. You know, uh, where does this originate from? Where does this idea originate from? And what's really going on here? Yes, I think that's uh, that's really good to to draw attention to. If we're if we're used to this this language, then uh, it doesn't sound odd to us at all. But uh, you know, if, if you're not used to it, then you, you certainly be for, forgiven that it's, it sounds, uh, incredibly strange. But, um, as we'll see, if we look at it, um, in a way that's not literal, then it's a lot less strange. So it actually comes from, uh, what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Uh, mm-hmm. so I think it'd be good at this point if we could take a look at, uh, Matthew chapter 26. Do you want me to read, read a passage for you? What, what, what verses would you? Uh, so it's Matthew 26. Uh, If you could read from 26 to 30, please, Lawrence, that would be brilliant. So while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we can see from this passage here that Jesus took some bread and I strongly suggest that he symbolically uh, referred to it as his body. Uh, We also see that Jesus took a cup of the fruit of the vine or wine uh, and symbolically referred to it as his blood. 
And the Gospel of Luke adds that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, So putting all this together, then Jesus asked his disciples to share this sacred meal together in remembrance of him, focusing on his body and blood. And he gave these these symbols of the the bread and the cup of wine uh, to to aid that remembrance of him. So in a nutshell, Jesus was saying, always remember that I gave my life as a sacrifice for you. Share this meal together to help you remember me. It's a really powerful symbol, isn't it? And like just with these two, two things, like a you know, piece of bread and a and a cup of wine, you know, they could look at those from that point forward and kind of use that as a a way of remembering this momentous event. You know that that uh, event that they'd you know very very intimate time in that upper room. You know, during that last uh, supper, where you know Jesus had had taken them through this. Um, really powerful moment for those 12, uh, 12, 12 disciples. Absolutely. And, and the, the question is, it was for them um, initially. They took um, the cup and, and they, they broke the bread and they, it was used as these symbols of the body and blood, so kind of pointing at the work of Jesus and the sacrifice he'd done. Um, was it ju- just for them? And, and well, obviously we see it being extended elsewhere, but, but, but why was that? Why was, why was it then used? by the wider community? Mm, Good question. Okay, so I think a a good place to look is, again, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. There's so much about uh, about, uh, church organization there and early Christian practice. So that's where we're going to a lot in this this podcast series. Um, So in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and chapter 11, if we were to read that, uh, we'd see that the Corinthian congregation so these are different people from the the original 12 disciples of jesus they were encouraged to remember christ by by sharing this meal together uh, so that's first corinthians 11 if you want to, to have a look at that and there are other places in the new testament we could go to as well uh, that also confirm that this meal was not just limited to the to the 12 disciples of jesus that were there at the the last supper it was for all disciples of jesus so that kind of leads on to whether it's applicable today. And we know that it is applicable for disciples today uh, because the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's that last bit, until he, that's Jesus, until Jesus comes. And Jesus has not come back to the earth yet. So it's still vital for followers of Jesus to remember him in the way he asked his immediate disciples to at the Last Supper. So we see right from that intimate moment in the in the upper room, um, this uh, symbol of the breaking of bread and the taking of the cup being important to the disciples. We see in Acts chapter one that as the congregation in the Jerusalem church grew and grew and grew, they were they were doing this act of breaking of bread so breaking of bread taking the bread and wine we see this letter to the corinthians and um, them being exhorted to continue this as a symbol of their remembrance of jesus and their association together it's a kind of a binding together and um, thing that they were doing we see that all the way through this these new testament passages the importance of uh, the breaking bread and the drinking wine that this whole uh, supper uh, that, that we have. I mean, Paul the Apostle himself wouldn't have been in that upper room. Um, he wouldn't have been um, connected with that initial Last Supper, but he was somebody who 
and was speaking to the Corinthians and said, look, I received this from my communication with Jesus and I'm passing it on to you. You need to go and, and do this. So really powerful binding together um, activity that these these early Christians did. So what I want to do now, Stephen, is that we know this is important. We know this is key and an activity that was done in the first century. Let's look outside then the New Testament scriptures and see how this continues um, and kind of how is this recorded in kind of early church history. Yeah, it's important to, to look at the, the New Testament first and foremost. But um, as you said at the start of this um, podcast miniseries, Church History just gives a uh, an interesting angle uh, on these things. And there's a, there's a fascinating document called the Didache, uh, which just means the teaching. And uh, it's essentially a, an early statement of Christian beliefs and practices. And it opens with uh, descriptions of, of aspects of Christian life, uh, describes baptism, for example. Uh, it mentions the breaking of bread. And it also ends with a description of the hope for the future. Yeah, excellent. I remember this document. I think we mentioned it briefly in one of our other podcasts. When when was this written? What, what was the kind of the dating of this, this document? It's actually uh, quite a difficult document to, to date, but it's generally accepted that it was written at the end of the first century AD or near the beginning of the second century AD. So Henry Chadwick, for example, he thinks it makes most sense if it was written between the period of about AD 70 after the fall of Jerusalem and about AD 110. So it's it's a very early Christian document and that's why it's uh, so fascinating. It's not uh, an inspired document like those of the, the New Testament. Um, it's just an interesting historical document so we're we're perfectly entitled to uh, to disagree with it if we want to and there's a section in the didache that reveals some early church thinking on the breaking of bread uh, so they referred to it as the eucharist um, so that's a word that uh, that simply means thanksgiving uh, it comes from a, a greek word that we find in the new testament actually uh, so it's Thanksgiving and uh, the Eucharist referring to this Thanksgiving meal uh, that we've been considering, the, the breaking of bread. It includes suggested prayers for the bread and the cup of wine, uh, like Jesus did at the at the Last Supper. And interestingly, it mentions who should partake in this sacred meal. So it says, but let none eat or drink of your Eucharist, except those who have been baptized in the Lord's name. So again, we can see that the the first Christians clearly viewed this Thanksgiving meal, the breaking of bread, as important. It also links in nicely with the the first podcast in this mini-series. So in that episode, we looked at how believers' baptism was how someone became a disciple of Jesus and a member of the church. Uh, But now we're seeing that the, the sacred meal we've been considering is only for baptized Christians to share in. So almost we've seen baptism as being that process of making a decision based on belief in in the gospel. And remember, we talked about how that changed over time and how that became almost a symbol of being part of a church state. Um, And then the reversion back to kind of believers baptism. So so that was the kind of getting into uh, this this uh, group of, of people who shared the same belief. And this is almost like a continued uh, coming together and remembrance with that group um, that, you know, the thing that they're associated with is is Christ and the hope, hope of Christ. So that's really interesting. And the fact that it's linked with those who are baptised only. And I think you, you had a quote from Henry Chadwick as well. And he mentioned that as part being part of that early 
early church uh, process that they went through. Um, and it's really different, isn't it? A different situation than we see today. That whole taking of the of the Eucharist, the whole the breaking of bread, the communion, as some people call it, because churches rarely now either do the breaking of bread at all. Um, they, you know, they may not even eat the bread and take the wine in remembrance of Jesus. Some churches they would invite anybody who's there, whether baptized or not, to share in, in this in this meal. And so, fr- from this teaching document, this um, Didache. Uh, it seems really clear that remembering Jesus is, is the way that only those who have been baptised into his name should really be participating in. So we've looked at a fair bit about this shared meal um, and what's meant by this, this this shared meal. Is there anything else that would exclude a Christian from, from this meal? Yes. So becoming a, a follower of Jesus comes with enormous moral responsibilities. Uh, that was the same in the first century AD, uh, and that's definitely still the case today. Uh, and as we, we touched on in the last episode on persecution, um, sometimes those who profess to follow Jesus... Uh, they practice behaviour that is completely wrong. Um, and as such, it's essential that churches have forms of, of discipline, if you like, in place for, for when a church member is in serious need of moral correction. So I think it would be good to, to look at the most famous passage uh, regarding this, uh, again, from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, so can we have a look at First Corinthians 5? Yeah, no problem. Here we go. I wrote to you all in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not at all mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the greedy and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to leave the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is a sexually immoral person, or a greedy person, or an idolater, or is verbally abusive, or habitually drunk or a swindler, not even to eat with that person. For what business of mine is it to judge outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church, but those who are outside? God judges. Remove the evil person from among yourselves. So so we see from that passage, don't we, it's interesting that uh, church members don't always behave themselves appropriately, and that's kind of what the focus here was. It was... He was like saying, look, I'm not, we're not judging people outside here. We're judging people who are supposed to be part of the church, supposed to be this part of this community. And Paul instructs believers how to deal with miscreants, doesn't he? People who aren't necessarily doing the things that they should be doing um, and really quite awful things that we, that we read in, in this passage as well. And it seems like the remedy here is not to associate with them. Um, those claiming to be your brother or sister in Christ, those, you know, conducting um, business and, and activities which are completely against the teaching of Christ. When it says, don't even eat with such a person, do you think that's that's linked with this exclusion from the breaking of bread, this sacred meal? I think it's, it's difficult to, to say categorically, but uh, yeah, I think it probably does. Uh, it seems to be how the early Christians interpreted Paul's instructions 
Um, so one final quote from uh, from Henry Chadwick. A serious moral fault entailed exclusion from sharing in the meal, either permanently or for a time, but those so excluded continue to attend the first part of the service, consisting of psalms, readings and prayers, together with those who were not yet baptised but were receiving instruction, catechumenoi. The determination of which moral faults did or did not involve exclusion and for how long was a pastoral problem that deeply exercised the minds of the church's leaders well into the third century. So we put all this stuff together, the things that we read from Corinthians, the, this, obviously the interpretation of that in this in the early church history. What, what, what can we take from this? I think we can take that it's, it was not acceptable for, for churches to allow behavior that is just completely contrary to the teaching and example of Jesus. I think it's really important what you said, um, that it's not for, for judging outsiders, uh, people outside of the church. Um, it's, it's judgment, if you like, uh, church discipline, uh, just for those inside the church. Um, and we can also see that this was not a, a complete excommunication or shunning uh, as some churches practice, because just based on on the uh, the church history quotes there, um, you could still attend the first part of the service. But the the key thing was exclusion from sharing in the meal. Uh, so just as uh, taking this this sacred meal, this Thanksgiving meal, the breaking of bread. Uh, was the essential expression of membership of the society. It, it showed that you were a, a follower of Jesus. Uh, likewise, if your behavior wasn't in keeping with, with following Jesus, then you were excluded from the meal. And uh, I'd just like to add at this point that uh, the ideal response of someone who has been excluded from the Thanksgiving meal uh, is to see the, the punishment inflicted upon them, the, the spiritual discipline, if you like, as a, a loving method of galvanizing them towards repentance. Uh, so turning away from their, their sinful behavior and turning back towards their Lord. Um, so we don't have time to, to look at this in detail now, but this disciplinary measure was designed with the spiritual well-being and the, the salvation of the wayward Christian in mind. Um, so it might seem uh, from a human point of view as kind of cruel, but just wanted to add that it's it was uh, designed with their well-being in mind and it was it was actually a loving thing to do yeah that's a really interesting point to make because you know if we read those passages you know in corinthians etc where we see people who have gone through this process it's almost like to to shake them to wake them up to the fact that they're doing something wrong and to you know, like you say galvanizing them towards repentance and i think the worst thing we can sometimes do is just um, politely ignore this behavior so that it just you know you know they carry on thinking it's absolutely fine to do that so yeah it's that uh, element of love towards our, our brothers and sisters so well, we've spoken about the the breaking of bread meal we've spoken about how uh, people get into uh, association with the church in our first podcast the baptism have we covered all the aspects of of uh, church organization there Stephen? No, not at all. We've, uh, we've only scratched the surface of this uh, this big topic about church organisation. You know, we haven't had time to cover everything. So there's different roles in the church that are really interesting to look at. So uh, when we read the New Testament, we come across words such as elders, overseers, deacons. Uh, so they're all mentioned in Scripture. But good question to ask, are they the same as what we might uh, think of today when we think of those words, elders, overseers, deacons? 
Uh, it's a really interesting topic, uh, to my mind anyway, uh, that listeners might want to, to think about and, and have a look into. I'm sure maybe a topic for a future um, podcast, maybe even as well. <laughs> um, so thank you for sending us all some homework there, um, Stephen. So we'll go and have a have a uh, look at the occurrences of those words and see what they meant in the first century. Thank you very much, Stephen, for taking us through this this mini series. It's been uh, really interesting, some really interesting points, and I'm sure um, there are there are many others that we could investigate and, and point and see the progression of aspects of Christianity right from the first century to today. Many more things that we could uh, dive into, but maybe just as a you know point of conclusion on this mini series, is there any kind of final points you want to leave us with? Any summaries that you want us to to remember? Yeah, sure. So I think firstly, just to summarise this particular episode, I think that we've seen that regularly remembering Jesus's sacrifice by eating bread and drinking wine was the hallmark of the early disciples of Jesus. And there's every reason to think that this Thanksgiving meal should form an indispensable part of what it means to be a member of the Church of Christ today. And if I can summarise the the miniseries as a whole, it would be that early Christianity was very different from how it is today. I believe some practices have clearly changed over time and sometimes, not always, but sometimes this was certainly not a good thing. If we want to be disciples of Jesus today, Uh, We will care deeply about what Jesus said and did uh, and what his earliest followers said, did and wrote about as well. Uh, So that's all contained in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, So if we're in a position where we're deciding which church to belong to or maybe thinking about which denomination is right for us, uh, then it's imperative to, to base our decision on whether the church or the denomination values the beliefs and practices found in the New Testament. And this is the main reason the the Christadelphian community came about, actually, as an attempt to to get back to the original, authentic Christianity that I've been championing in this mini-series. So Christadelphians have many things in common with the the early Christians. Uh, For example, we we believe that believers' baptism is how someone becomes a disciple of Jesus and a member of the church. Uh, we, We also believe in devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Um, we also believe that serious moral faults should result in exclusion from the Thanksgiving meal. So there's plenty of, of similarities between uh, Christadelphian uh, beliefs and practices with the, the earliest followers of Jesus. And I think these are a particular strengths of the Christadelphian community uh, that personally speaking, I'm very thankful to be able to, to enjoy as a disciple of Jesus. That's great, Stephen. Thank you for giving your personal view on this as well, as well as kind of taking us through some of the the, uh, the histories. And Stephen, I'm sure we'll see you back um, in one of these podcasts, but really, really thank you for, for your help um, and putting this, this mini-series together. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. So thank you, everybody. You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast. If you want to share your feedback on our mini-series, ideas maybe for topics that have cropped up during this mini-series that you want to hear more about, Uh, or simply come and say hi to us then you can visit us on our website thebiblefeed.org or on social media um, at biblefeedonline You've been listening to the Bible Feed podcast thanks for joining us we're always keen to hear what you think and hear your questions on subjects you'd like us to discuss Get in touch with us on our Facebook page or send us a message from our webpage at biblefeed.org 
and be part of the journey. <laughs>